All right. Hey, this is Joe and Lisa Duty. We're back in the studio today. And uh, hey, Lisa, how's it going? It's going good. How are you today, Joe? Doing well, doing well. And uh, so we've reached out today to uh, Matt Cohen, sports photographer extraordinaire. How's it going, Matt? I'm good. Good. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Yes, sir. Uh, well, you know, I, I first became... Um, aware of your images through rodeo and I know you're uh, a sports photographer is is that correct I mean you shoot all kinds of sports yeah I started out shooting sports mostly um rodeo I kind of, was just another assignment to me but I kind of just really liked it and liked the variety and the different things I could do with it so uh, when I first started shooting rodeo, I tried to shoot as much of it as, as I could while I was still shooting other sports. Um, that was about 13 years ago. So since then, my business has gone from being mostly sports with a little bit of rodeo when I could get into the vast majority of it is rodeo now. I still do a bunch of hockey in the winter. I do a little bit of football in the fall and I'll do other things as needed an auto race here, basketball playoff here, but mostly uh, my my bread and butter these days is rodeo just because of the access that I have and the connections and the people that I know just make it easier to shoot rodeos than it is to do a whole bunch of paperwork to get into an NFL game and be one of 50 guys on the sideline shooting. Right, right. Okay. Well, that's, uh, you know, just from what I've seen on your images, uh, Matt, I mean, yours totally, I can see one now and automatically know it's yours. You know, you, you have this definite style and, and what, uh, you know, what does it take to get images like that? You know, I mean, you obviously so have... I, I yeah, I, I think that um, it's a little bit hard to to explain. I, I can tell you that the number one thing that is important to me is that I consider, you know, I'll post a bunch of pictures. Like if I if I go to a rodeo and I have a good day or something like that, and I'll be at the hotel at night and I'll put up 20 or 30 pictures from that day. But even though I'm putting up 20 or 30 pictures, I'm thinking about each one of them. I'm thinking is there a reason to put up these two bareback pictures side by side that look exactly the same? Or should I just post one of them? Should I pick the one that's better? Do I need to be dividing people's attention between two pictures that look the same? And so I think a lot of what you're seeing and a lot of what other people notice is editing. You know, mm -hmm. they, they see that they only see exactly what I want them to see. And there's not a loose pixel here or there. There's not a picture if there's a picture that's going up, there's a reason for it. And if it's not my best picture, there's a good story behind it. And if there's not a good story behind it, there's another reason why it needs to be up there. So um, something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, as far as editing goes, is um, basically it boils down to edit yourself or somebody else is going to edit you. Mm -hmm. And it could be um, somebody who's looking at your portfolio and saying, nope, next, too much junk in here. Or it could be um, somebody scrolling through a feed and saying, boring, next picture. You know, mm -hmm. if you edit yourself, then the name you know, below these pictures is going to end up meaning something. And to me, it's just uh, even before I thought of all of that kind of stuff, 
it just became important to me to, I, I had a, I had a mentor when I first got started an old newspaper photographer, sports illustrated staffer. And I used to, when I would go out and shoot, I would send him all of the pictures, you know, 150, 300 pictures or something like that. And this guy was busy and he'd seen it all and he didn't need to see 15 copies of the same car going around the same bend or something. And so he just kind of, uh, he just cracked down on me. He said, I don't want to see this stuff. If you're sending me pictures to critique for you, to point you in the right direction, then I want to see different pictures. I want to see you actually trying things. And I don't want to see you reverting to being safe just so you have more pictures, more pictures isn't better, more pictures, just more, you know, I would take the one portfolio picture over coming home from a racetrack with 300 pictures, um, you know, this of the same stock cars going through the same turn. It's just not satisfying to me at all. Excellent. That's great advice. I had some similar advice from an old newspaper photographer and that's, that seems to be the rule of standards. You know, they don't need to see all that crap and you know, but I I was doing a, I I joined a, a friend of mine has a, like a teaching group that he does and I joined, and uh, it was more, they wanted to see more sports than rodeo. So I, I, I went back and I pulled up the pictures from my first NASCAR race. And I, I included like 40 of them because I wanted them to be impressed by those pictures. Mm-hmm. But then I wanted them to get bored as I was scrolling through. And, you know, at, at the beginning, people, ooh, ah, oh, that's cool. You can see Jeff Gordon. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of that, it's like, oh, yeah, these are just the same cars with different paint on them. <laughs> you know, and I, why am I looking at these pictures? And so my point was, you can get yourself into the best position. You can have the best gear. You can do everything right. But if you're not thinking and if you're not moving around and if you're not doing different things, then what do you have? 40 pictures that are going to bore somebody just all the way. So I try to think about that while I'm shooting. I think about it while I'm editing and I think about it while I'm posting. Mm -hmm. So quality control then. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool deal. Well, you know, I I think that's a that's a very valuable uh, train of thought there. You know, they only get to see what you give them to see. And we all take, you know bad pictures and absolutely good pictures and great pictures you know you try something you miss you you know some of the judge steps in front of you and it blows the focus and um it's but it's up to you whether or not you're going to waste somebody else's time with those pictures you know if, if you're and i'm not saying you know don't risk it i'm not saying don't show people things that they might not like i'm saying do put your vision onto the screen and then decide if that's something that is worth somebody else's time to look at Exactly. Okay. So Matt, you mentioned edit, you know, we're talking about editing. What is your favorite program? What do you use for editing? Um, So yeah, when uh, (laughs) I'll I'll definitely answer your question for sure. But um, editing means something different to me. I don't edit very much as far as like pixel editing or that kind of thing. Um, the volume and the schedule that I have just doesn't really allow for that. Even if I had the best workflow and I don't, um, it still wouldn't be workable to me to spend a whole lot of time actually editing pictures. So most of my time, when I say editing, it means um, picking and choosing uh, and, and figuring out okay. um, what I'm going to show and what I'm going to send to my clients and things like that. On a, on a technical level, um, I, I started out shooting with Aperture, Apple Aperture. Um, I used that for the entire time that it was a program, um, and I used it for five years after they killed it. 
So uh, I'm not the best person to talk to about editing software because I found something that worked for me. I built my whole business around it. And then, you know, with the flick of a switch, somebody killed it. Right. So uh, I was able to use it because they kept supporting it, kept supporting it. But then uh, Apple had a transition last year. So if you wanted the new, features and the new security you had to update and Apple uh, Aperture didn't work anymore. So currently I'm using Photo Mechanic Plus, which is uh, Photo Mechanic, which is the standard plus mm-hmm. means it's their cataloging so, uh, solution to that. So I'm right. trying that out now. It's fast. It, it lets me organize and put metadata on things, which is really important for me to be able to find a picture right away. Sure. Um, but it doesn't offer contrast or, you know, any kind of, uh, pixel editing qualities to it at all. So I'm using capture one pro Mm. to do the final, um, the final corrections and things like that. And, uh, you know, for what those programs do, they're both very good programs, but they're not, the combination of them is not working out for me at all. So Mm -hmm. it's just, I'm kind of muddling through right now until I can figure something else out. The the only good side about being stuck at home is that I've had a lot of time to, you know, work on scripting and get things organized. And, uh, I think if I have another couple of years, I'll be able to, <laughs> to get everything, get everything sorted out. But I mean, I have like just my rodeo archive is 150,000, something like that, 160,000 pictures. Wow. I would say wow. that easily, easily 80 or 90,000 of those have never been touched by wow. anything. So, wow. yeah. That's a lot. That's a big database there. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. So talk a little bit about, um, you know, when you go into the ring and as a rodeo photographer, what do you have? Do you go into it with a certain mentality, Matt? Do you go into it like with, this is what I'm going to see, or are you just being open to what's there? I mean, what, what's the thought in your mind when you approach this? It, it's, it's really, it, it depends on a lot of different things. So my, um, my business is based on filling a list of guys for my clients, right? So they're, they're sponsoring these guys for this year and they have these uses. So 15 guys and their uses are social media and print ads and their website or something like that. And so I have to kind of, I, I keep a, a spreadsheet that has um, these guys on it and it has like the, the times that I've shot them and the kinds of pictures that I have. But I also kind of have to keep this in my head so that like, I'm trying to think of when it was maybe four years ago, it rained out mm-hmm. here and it just kept raining for weeks at a time. And every rodeo that I went to was muddy. Mm-hmm. You're not like, I, I, people love my muddy pictures. They, they've been on TV and they've been everywhere and you know, that's great. But those pictures aren't money makers for me because they're not, you're not selling saddle pads or jeans or ropes or whatever, when everything is covered in mud, right. you might do it one time, right? right to say, were the durable company or something like that, but you're not going to do it over and over and over again. And you're not going to build your website with 15 pictures of guys sliding through the mud. You know, it's just not, it would look weird. It would look like we make all weather rodeo equipment or something like that. So (laughs) not not having those sunny days meant that I was behind on filling those, those contracts for my clients. So for that year, I was like, by the time Reno rolled around and the rain was done, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I need clean 
action pictures of all of these guys because I just don't have any from this year. That was a weird year, right? So you look at last year, which was like a more normal year. I'm going to go to the places that like Clovis and St. Paul that have really good sunsets and sunrises. And I'm going to try to make prettier kind of pictures there and maybe not so much with the straight up action kind of pictures. If I'm going somewhere like Reno, that's a big rodeo and that's all at night and has very consistent arena lighting. The, the creative opportunities that I have in a rodeo like that, where I'm expected to not only get pictures for the rodeo and for all of my clients and also sell prints to the guys, but I have to do it, uh, at a, you know, Reno, when Reno's going on, it's the only rodeo that's happening right then, the only Mm -hmm. big rodeo. So those pictures also have to go to the PSN to be on the website and things like that. So I'm not taking a whole lot of chances overall at a rodeo like Reno. Mm -hmm. But then I go to a a smaller rodeo like the Marysville Stampede, where it's just a local kind of rodeo and none of the big guys go. I'm going to take as many chances as I possibly can because the rodeo will run the pictures that I want. I've already done my client work. So it's just a pretty sunset to be able to make whatever pictures I want or to do everything with the prime lens or to shoot everything wide angle or to force a 400 into an arena that's too small or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there are there are times when the expectations from me are very high and I need you know certain kind of things. And then there's times where I'm going to be opportunistic and just try to find, you know, something that nobody else is doing or something that I've never done before or something like that. Right. So, so you keep it yeah, fun. it's complicated. Well, okay, cool. Sounds like you keep it fun, uh, you know, or challenging anyway, for sure. Yeah. Fun, fun for me is um, like I shooting isn't fun. Like the, the act of actually going out and shooting isn't the rewarding part for me. It's accomplishing my goals and it's getting the pictures that I want and it's, you know, it's it's using the access that I have to make a rodeo fan feel like they saw the thing that I saw, even though they're not allowed in the places that I'm allowed in. And so for me being out and shooting and humping all this gear around and sweating my ass off and all of that is not, that's not the fun part at all. The fun part is downloading my pictures and texting my friends and saying, oh, you'll never believe the picture that I got of you on, you know, on that horse or something like that. Like that's the fun part right. for me, but you have to do so I do I have to do so much work to get myself into that point mm-hmm. and then at that point I'm you know sitting in a hotel chair you know in a puddle of my own sweat or whatever and <laughs> right. it's like you know okay this this is fun now you know getting this picture makes it fun all right I can see that that sounds that sounds awesome well so speaking of gear um you know like I said there's a lot of people interested in rodeo and shooting rodeo and everything uh does it take special gear to shoot this sort of thing um, no, uh, you know, most rodeo photographers have one body in a 70 to 200 and they call it a day, you know, mm-hmm. I'll see them behind the shoots trying to do candidates like that. Um, which is fine. You know, if, if that's, uh, if that's how you do things, that's great mm-hmm. for me. I'm just, you know, the, the, the line that I'm chasing, the, the line of like a picture that makes sense, but just barely, mm-hmm. you know, a picture that you have to really figure out. How did that, what, I've, I've, you know, been a rodeo fan for my whole life and I never saw anything like that. Yeah, I, um, I, so the the line that I'm chasing makes the difference between 70 to 200 at 200 at 2.8 and a 200 F2 at two, 
mm-hmm. that's where I'm operating, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's if you don't know gear and if you don't know physics and if you don't know distances and things like that, that's kind of a hard concept to understand. But like, if you're shooting with a 70 to 200, you have that play with the zoom. If something gets too close to you, right, mm-hmm. you can zoom out. If you have a 200 F2, you're, it's probably the best lens that Nikon makes, right, for quality, right? A picture from that is just going to look better than I a picture from all of their other lenses, in, I, in, in my opinion. Right? I sleep with mine, yes. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Common, common. It's right between us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, but, but for me, right. So the risk that you're taking by, by having the 200 F2 on is that first of all, you have that really, really thin depth of field and you have the, the inability to zoom and you, you know, running away with a 200 F2 is a lot harder than running away with a 70 to 200, right? So you're Mm -hmm. restricting the possibilities that you have because you're trying to do something very, very specific that maybe only you can understand, right? But if you do that enough times, then your work starts to reflect that and then your pictures start to look different from everybody else's. And so that's the line that I've been chasing. And the the better you get, those lines get harder to hit and smaller and smaller and to the point where the difference between, a, you know, a 200 F2 at, at F2 and a 70 to 200 at you know, two eight. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when the that difference becomes everything. You know, it's it's not just a small difference at that point. It's a difference between whether or not something makes sense as a picture and and whether it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so, gear to me serves that the chase of that line, gotcha. right? So if I know that, you know, like you can, I have uh, I don't know four different lenses that are. 24 millimeters, right? Mm-hmm. I have a 24, 1.4, I have a 14 to 24, I have a 24 to 70, and I have an old 24 manual focus lens or something like that. I can tell the difference between, if you set all of those at 24 and 2.8 or whatever, I can tell the difference between, you know, mm-hmm. what picture came from what lens or something like that. And so for me, that means I'm in a situation and I'm trying to figure out do I want the lens flare that comes with the 14 to 24? Mm-hmm. Because the, the big front element is, you know, the, le- the, the light is bouncing off of it or whatever, and it's going to have this huge lens flare. Or I can have the 24 1.4 and have a super shallow depth of field. Or I can have the 24 to 70 on there and have a little bit of insurance if the action goes away from me a little bit. Or I can have the manual focus on there because it's a really bad old lens and has like mold in it or something and it, you know it's going to have like a really weird kind of coloring pattern that I don't even have any control over or something like that so mm-hmm. I'm not going to uh bring all four of those lenses with me and sit there and look at my case and say oh what am I going to do you know <laughs> right I'm going to look around and I'm going to say here's where the light's going here's where I think I'm going to be and so I'm going to put this lens on and I'm going to have this one close by so that if I need to change or put it on a different body or something like that I can do that mm-hmm. but Gear to me is all in service of the picture that I want to make. And I'm thinking at the edges of all of these things. So like when I go to a rodeo, my case is very heavy and very full. Mm. And, you know, I, I want to have insurance in case, you know, it's an overcast day, but I was planning for really bright sun and I, you know, okay, that's lens flare is not going to work on a flat gray day, right? right. It's only going to work if you have direct sunlight. So mm. maybe that 14 to 24 stays in the bag because it's, I'm, I'm not going to be able to maximize that. So right, right. these are all the things that go on. I, 
you know, I, I guess I probably made more conscious kind of decisions as I was starting out these days, this kind of thing happens um, in the subconscious, I think. And I just like, oh yeah, this is what I feel like doing. I grab this lens and I go. I think if people are listening to this and they're maybe not as experienced, maybe um, before the rodeo, try to put on those different lenses, go into the places that you would go to and see what those pictures look like because they will look different based on the different lenses. And then you go with what you have based mm -hmm. on that. But I always try to bring you know, more stuff with me. Um, like if I'm going away for a month, I'm probably going to bring every piece of gear that I have just because I know I'm going to three or four different rodeos and I want to change it up. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, but then the, sometimes I'll do the opposite. I was just telling a story about a day where, um, you know, Red Bluff Roundup is one of my rodeos and it's one of the ones where I have, um, a lot of responsibility to the committee themselves for giving them pictures for their program and for their website and social media and things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one day after I'd been shooting for four days or, you know, four days in a row there and like 20 days in a row total, I was bored with, you know, I didn't want to see my 200 F2. I didn't want to see my 400 28 or whatever. I left all of that. Right. I came to the rodeo with a 85 1.4 and a 24 1.4 and I shot the whole perf with wow. with just those right and the general manager of the rodeo was like what are you doing you know this isn't going to work or whatever and it's like hey, hold on you trust know it's a five-day rodeo I'm, I'm taking one perf on one day to try something different you have all these other action pictures it'll be fine and because i did that i was able to just sell out right wow. i don't have to worry about what's going out on in the arena because i don't have the lenses it's right. a huge arena even an 85 isn't going to get it done in a rodeo like that mm -hmm. So I was able to go around behind the scenes and, you know, in the office while the rodeo was happening, in the announcer stand, shooting Bob Tolman, those kind of things. And that day is now memorable to me in a way that would definitely, I'll, I'll remember that day my whole life just because I got to do exactly what I want to do. I made memorable pictures and it wasn't exactly like all those other oh, things. So that's, that's awesome. just, you know, like a... I don't know when I, when I need extra motivation, I do something like that. I set up a hurdle and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to clear it or die trying. Right. right. That's awesome, man. Well, I, you know, so you covered the gear thing and, and I feel like you, you know, you've obviously got the right mindset, uh, for them being tools, you know, and using what the necessary tool, but yeah. you mentioned, uh, it's harder to run away with a 200 F2. Which, I was thinking the yeah. same thing. So, <laughs> Tell me, uh, I mean, how dangerous is it where you go? Yeah. And I mean, what what do you do give to us prepare? A, a good story yeah. on having to run away with something. I will. And, yeah. I, I'll, give you, I'll give you a few. Um, so I, I started shooting rodeo in 2007. Um, if you, people don't know this, I guess, but if you, before you have, or if you don't have, or before you have your PRCA card, you're not allowed into the dirt. You have to be outside the, the fence. And there's really good reasons for this because it's, it's dangerous. Farm animals are unpredictable. And horses that weigh 1,200 pounds and bulls that weigh 1,800 pounds, they don't have to hit you very hard for you to, to really feel it, right? They can, they can just ease into you and, and you're going to be on your butt. So um, for the first uh, six years that I shot rodeo, I didn't have to worry about any of this at all. Mm -hmm. I was outside things would crash into the fence in front of me, but I knew it wasn't going anywhere. So mm. it was fine. I'm, I'm trying to remember what year it was either 13 or 14 when I first got my permit. And the first rodeo that I shot was Oakdale and Oakdale has um, kind of a weird setup where they have a wall. It's like a concrete wall 
that it that sticks up from where the dirt is and then the the stands are up there mm-hmm. and when you look at the wall it's probably only like two and a half feet high or three feet high and you think oh yeah i can get up that wall if i had to no problem <laughs> but if you have a bunch of gear on you and you're wearing boots and jeans mm-hmm. and you know all it's it's very difficult to to get over that you know in at that moment so uh the second bull of the first set came out spun around bucked his rider off and then for some reason ran right along that concrete wall right at me yeah and i i I, I looked and i knew i wasn't going to be able to jump at that point in the time that i had left i knew i couldn't go back out into the arena so all i did was just turn you know into the wall you know just like put my back you know towards the bull because that's you know, I'd rather have my back than my front, right? right? And I felt the bull's horn graze my shirt as it was going by. So that's the closest call, you know, as far as that goes. I learned a really important lesson at that point. You have to leave yourself out at that point. Like, you can't leave it to chance at all. So there's not there's nothing I can do to make it safe. Like, just being out in the dirt, even if I was back at the fence or something like that, it's not safe, right? Anytime you're in an in an arena with a, with an animal that big and, and that dangerous it's, it's dangerous For but sure. what i did was i went and bought a, a little ladder so that i can get up the fence easier and so i've had a lot of close calls having to do that but to me that part of it's not risky because if i'm doing my job if i'm shooting and then stopping when it you know when it's time to stop and getting to the ladder and getting up into the crowd you know the the risks there are me falling down basically like if i'm doing it right um, I'm not old, so you know I'm I'm a little bit nimble still. Um, I haven't had any kind of uh, you know knock on wood. Uh, you know I've, I've never tripped in a situation like that. But basically, I've I've gotten it to the point where unless something uh, you know unexpected happens or whatever, I'm probably going to be okay. Right. It was explained to me when I when I first got my card that it is a matter of when and not if. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard from uh, from a lot of a lot of guys who have been shooting for a long time and you know they do it, it happens you know people get mucked out you know from time to time and for me it just ends up being I'm, I'm not trying to be stupid about it but the the better pictures are the closer you get there's no there's no other side to that argument I'm sorry oh, there just man. isn't right, right. Cool. um so so I'm trying to get as close as I can while still being safe I, I feel like I've been doing it long enough that I have a decent track record as, you know, um, having close calls, but not not ever having gotten the worst of it. Uh, let's um, hope that don't change. Yeah, yeah it, it's just kind <laughs> of a, um, I don't know. I, I think everybody needs to make that decision for themselves, like what's safe and what's not safe. Right. For me, like I'm, I'm even right down to the lens that I have. Like if I'm shooting a 70 to 200, I'm going to be a little bit more able to move around. It weighs a third of what a, a 70 or a, a 200 F2 weighs. Right. right so right. Um, there is, I don't know. Uh, those kind of considerations are important, whether or not you can get out of there with, I'm not trying to run away, run away with a 400 to eight. Right. You know, right. and exactly. I've done that. Like I've been <laughs> at the fence or something like that and thought, Oh yeah, I'll be fine here. And then end up realizing, Oh yeah, the, not only are three pickup horses coming at me, but the bronc that just went is coming at me too. And there's, there's nowhere for me to go or whatever. And it's less likely if you're that far away, but it still happens. And that's not a fun lens to, oh. to run around. Oh. So, you know, it's, no. safety is important, but it's also, 
um, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to be safe today, right? right? There are, you do have to take, you know, at least some kind of calculated risk to get close enough. And maybe it's, um, you know, shooting from the back of the shoots instead. But even that, I've gotten kicked by a horse being on the back of the shoots, even though you think you're safe there. So right. rodeo is not safe, but then again, neither is I've gotten hit by NFL football players coming, you know, off the sidelines. So, yeah. you know, that, when you I, shoot action, you're, you're going to get into it, right? That can be as big as a bull sometimes. Somebody yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Close enough, right? Yeah. It feels like it, I'm sure, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a um, couple more questions and everything, but uh, as far as training, and it sounds like you went to the School of Hard Knocks. Do you have any special training in photography or any education? So, yeah, um, not not really traditional, but my dad was a pretty serious amateur photographer when I was growing up, and he was a track and cross-country coach. Mm. So he would get flown around, you know, wherever these teams or the guys that he was coaching would be. And so he would give me his gear. Um, he had old Nikon film cameras and stuff. And so I would just be able to run around at like these big track and field meets and take pictures. And so I kind of taught myself, like, he would help me like, oh, you're, you, you don't understand what the shutter is doing and you have to do this or whatever. So I learned all of the basics at a very young age. Right. right. Um, and, but I, I've never had any kind of formal training. And, um, you know, I, I took a long time off from the end of college when I didn't have access to a dark room anymore. And then to, you know, right around 2005 or six, when digital started getting to, you know, DSLR started to be as, as good as film or whatever. So I took a really 15, 20 year break, something like that in there of not shooting at all. But the one good thing was that it is like riding a bike. If you know how to do it, you can get back into it if you practice enough. And so I just shot as much as I could um, uh-huh. cool. to get where I am. But yeah, I, I don't, I took, I've taken like online courses or whatever, like, you know, when I was getting back into it, but I don't have any kind of formal training. Yeah. Okay. Well, good deal. Um, just a lot of shots, taking a lot of shots and just putting yourself out that, there and learn yeah, by it, doing. It's really I'll, I'll add something to that though, because it, it's, it's not just like shooting, getting the experience, seeing everything, all of that is very important, especially for timing, because the more like this happens definitely at a subconscious level where the more often you see something happen that you the cues for it, like this horse is going to turn this way, or this horse is going to, it's not going to kick or something like that. Or, um, you know, this bull comes out and goes this way or something like all those things, the experience of it is really important. But to me, to get better at it comes from being honest with yourself after you shoot. Uh-huh. Is this good or is this bad? And I think that a lot of people think that um, as they're learning that they should be like forgiving. I, I don't I don't agree. Like my style of teaching is pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not the one to sugarcoat it. I'm not the one to say, oh, yeah, you know, you're making progress and you have to do this or here's what you're doing wrong. Address that. Right. 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 We're not we're not talking about like um, abstract things that are way out there. If you're screwing up, you're focusing. That's not something that we need to have a philosophical discussion about. <laughs> or it's not like deeply held beliefs or you're, you're not doing it right. And, and here's how to do it. And so to me, I'm trying to cut down that the distance in between those two things. And so if I know that I can tell somebody very kindly and softly or whatever, oh, yes, you, you need to stop down a little bit because your depth of field isn't enough or, you know, like <laughs> that's just going to take time, right? right, that, right. Like that, and, and that person is going to waste 
turfs, waste rodeos, waste years not doing it right. And so I'm going to say, yes, if you continue shooting wide open, the rider is going to be in focus and the horse is going to be out of focus and every picture is going to look like this until you do it. I don't know any other way to do that other than saying, stop doing this. Right. right. So <laughs> for me, I'm, I'm very matter of fact about it. And I hope that people hear my head when they're editing their own pictures. Is mm -hmm. that good or isn't it good? It's a really simple question, right? right? Maybe, maybe there are some pictures that fall in like, ah, I can't tell. Is that awesome? Or does it suck? Right. There, right. there are definitely some of those pictures that fall into mm -hmm. that category where you just don't know. Right? right. Most of the time, you know, is that worth showing to somebody? Is that not worth showing to someone? Did I show five other versions of this or did I not? Right. right. Those kind of things to me are very black and white. And so um, that's how I teach. And I don't know why. I, I don't know. I didn't learn like that. It's just how things make sense to me. Well, that and sounds, uh... So the experience is important, but it's also a really cold, hard accounting of what you did after the fact, because even though it might hurt for a little bit and you might feel like you wasted your time, you get to stop wasting your time, right? If, if you are honest with yourself, you get to stop doing that. You get to make that feeling go away. You, you, you at least know what you're bad at and you know, okay, now I can form an intelligent question. And, you know, because I've done this enough and I was honest with myself and now I can go to Matt and I can say, is this a ISO problem or is this a shutter speed problem or something like that? Right. You know? and, right. And, and those, those kind of things like being honest with yourself and being curious as to why a picture isn't good, like being honest with yourself to know that it's not good. And then being curious enough to find out that's where the, the magic happens, right? It's that motivation in there. It's, you can continue shooting. You can, you can, you know, Gladwell 10,000 hours yourself into oblivion. Right. But if you're not being honest with yourself in the meantime and, and beyond that, if you're not seeking out experts, so you don't have to learn from me, right. There's plenty of people you can learn sports right, photography right. too. Um, one of, one of the very few people that I respect, you know, as, as like having a really diverse and long career is a guy named Peter Reed Miller. You can find him on YouTube. He's been doing a series of, um, you know, instructional and, you know, like uh, a lot of the same stuff that I'm doing. You can learn from him. He's a, not a psychopath, you know, so maybe <laughs> you'll learn more from him than you would from me, but um, you will learn more from people who have done this, people who have had to face the judgment of business, of editors who not a whole lot of people can tell me a picture isn't good enough, but there are editors out there who'd be like, yeah, here's what you did wrong on this. And here's why we're not going to run this picture. Right. Right. Most people don't have access to people like that, but everybody has access to me. Most people have access to Peter through his YouTube or whatever. If you put pictures up on your Facebook and your neighbor, who's a, a you know, a veterinarian or, you know, and, and your other neighbor who's a, you know, owns a natural gas company or something like that. And they, Oh, that's awesome. I can't believe I've never seen a picture like that. Right. I'm sorry. That doesn't mean anything. No. You know, it, it's nice, you know, that you impress somebody or whatever. It's nice that you were able to make something that somebody else appreciated. But as far as getting better at a photographer, that stuff is way more harmful than it is helpful. Oh, yeah. So it's, it starts with being, you know, you have to be true to yourself because if I don't like your pictures, but you like your pictures, that's fine. Right. So you right, have to, right. you have to be honest and true to yourself first. But once you think you have something, then you have to start putting it out there to experts, to people who have faced these kind of judgments and not to your neighbors or your cousins or your mother or father or whatever. Right. So well, um, I think I it's know. a great that was kind of a, a, a long rant on this, but, but the, 
you, you can't get better in a vacuum. You have to be challenging yourself and you have to let other people challenge you, um, you know, to get that kind of thing, to, to get the, the positive kind of cycle going where you're, you're getting a little bit better, but seeing, um, things where you need to improve. And then the next time you go out, you're improving on all of those things and you're noticing new things that you're not good at. And then you're, you're just stacking these wins on top of each other, but you can't do that unless you're honest with yourself and you're opening it up to experts who, you know, who have done all this before. I think, I think that's awesome. It's a great philosophy. Mine is, I call it the no BS rule and I'd whole lot rather have somebody just say, Hey, that's not working for you. Stop it. You know, yep. like yep. change this or this, or what could you change to make? Sounds kind of like you're along the same lines, you know, a hundred percent. I don't, I don't understand. I, you know, that if somebody told me that I like, like, here's a really good example. I've been using the, the quarantine time to teach myself how to use final cut pro mm -hmm. um, cool. for, for some of the social media stuff that I do being able to animate things mm -hmm. um, and, and have slideshows that are, I don't know, more full featured than a, a photo program could give you. So I've been teaching myself Final Cut. It's hard. You know, my brain doesn't work in video and the the way that the things are set up in there and the projects and all, it, it doesn't work the way my brain works, right? Mm -hmm. So I've been kind of muddling through it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I know my pictures are good and I know I can make a slideshow with my pictures, but I don't know how to use like the transitions and the text and whatever. And so I can make something like that and I can show it to my wife and she's looking at the pictures, right? And right. she's like, oh yeah, th that's awesome. And then I can show it to the client whose brand name is in those pictures and they, oh, that's awesome. We love this. But there's a video guy somewhere who's looking at this and cringing and saying, Matt doesn't know anything. <laughs> like he may be a great photographer, but he doesn't know what he's doing here, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I want that. I want somebody to say, you're embarrassing yourself. You know, these transitions you're not even using them right like i don't even know i don't even know who taught you this but don't do that anymore and read this link and go do like to me that's like gold oh yeah you're having somebody say guy. yeah having an expert tell me oh that's awesome when it's not awesome uh -huh. i don't yeah, want it i don't want it you know that's counterproductive you don't really so, learn that way you know you don't learn anything if somebody's just placating you and saying oh that's great but when they say yeah, the pictures are great, but you really need to change this over here if you want to get to the next level. You've 100%. got to make some adjustments. Well, that's, uh, so, that's excellent, uh, yeah. Matt. I think it's been an awesome interview. I just got one more question for you. Sure. Um, if you got somebody that wants to be a sports photographer, somebody just starting out, and they know the basics and everything, and what uh, do you have any tips or tricks for them as far as uh, getting into the field? Yeah. Um, no, as far as like getting into the field, I don't, and, and it's not to be discouraging mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to discourage anybody from shooting at all. I don't want to discourage anybody from trying to make this into a career at all. That's, this isn't like, I'm not pulling up the, uh, the drawbridge behind me or something like that. That's not what this is. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's not a job anymore, you know, like, like what we're, what we do used to be a job. And I still have some friends who, you know, they're, they're staffers at the local paper or they're, you know, one of them shoots for like a museum or something, you know, uh, there's lots of examples out there that we can point to and say, oh, there's still jobs in photography, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But even in the time since I've been doing this professionally, ESPN magazine has gone out of, has been born and gone out of business. Sports Illustrated has been sold twice. They fired 
all of their staff photographers and they only have freelance or wire pictures now. The newspapers that used to send photographers to games don't anymore. You know, like the San Francisco Chronicle used to send a photographer to shoot the San Jose Sharks. They don't do that anymore. They just pick up either a wire or one of my pictures or the Mercury News pictures or something like that. Right. right. Um, so this, this isn't a job where you can just go and get a job and, and have a 20 year career or something like that anymore. It's that's not a thing. That's over. So so what it means is you need to figure out different ways to to make your what you're doing valuable. To me, that's been social media. I have a very large following mm-hmm. and people are happy to hire me to get pictures of their guys to put on my social media because it's better exposure than running a print ad or putting it on their website or whatever. Um, for other people, it has been contracting with specific rodeos and doing video and making the website and doing and running the social media for those rodeos. It could be um, that you, I don't know, that you also do video and so you're able to go on a shoot and do still and video for somebody. But right. so I, I guess really what I'm saying is that photography is part of something else now it's it's not like you can be a professional photographer but if unless you're doing something else the odds of you actually being able to feed yourself and you know pay your rent or whatever (laughs) by doing that it's not it's not good right it's not you have to be you have to have some kind of hustle that ties in with it you know either doing somebody's social media or designing ads or shooting video or you know, even like I'm doing, um, interv- like I'm taking questions from social media and asking them in real life to the people who are sponsored by my clients to create different avenues for my picture. So I can do a slideshow, but then play an audio interview over it. But these are the kind of things that you need to do to make this into a real business because it's not a job anymore. Right. So right. you can have a business, but that business if you're only focusing just on photography is going to be very limited. So you need to kind of grow that business to touch other parts. Are you selling, um, you know, mugs and mouse pads or something like that? Do you have, um, you know, a, a podcast that you can sell ads on or something like there, there has to be like some other kind of action going on the, the pictures just because you can go to, like I said, you can go to an NFL game and there's 50 photographers there I go, I, you know, some of the rodeos I go to have 10 PRCA photographers there. Like mm-hmm. none of that's a business, you know, yeah. you, you have to be doing something else for it to work out. Okay. So just finding your niche and then uh, pursuing that. Is, is yeah. I, it, you have to put yourself out there. You have to partner with people. You have to, um, it, it's just like a, it, it, probably it's been the same forever, but now, um, it's about relationships and who you know and who you can get to do you a favor or who you can do a favor for. Right, right. But the, I guess what I'm, the overarching point to all of this is if you think that you can just go out and buy yourself a kit and some lights and put up a website and be a professional photographer, probably not. Probably not going to work out like that. <laughs> well, you mentioned social media. Where can our listeners view some of your work at, Matt? Yeah, I'm at Matt Cohen Photo, so M-A-T-T-C-O-H-E-N Photo um, on Twitter and Instagram. And my website is mattcohenphoto.com. Pretty easy to find. Okay. Well, hey, uh, I really appreciate all your time uh, today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, sir. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at one of the rodeos sometime. 
Absolutely. Take care, guys. Thank right. you. Thanks, man. Have a Bye. good day. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye. Please sign off. I thought that was a good interview. Oh, that was a great interview. Yeah. Yeah.